Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. I'm your other co-host, Lounge Dog. And I am your co-host and founder. I'm going to throw that in there in the subtle flex. Colton Watson. Yeah, from, from our humbling beginnings. That's right. Only the real ones remember Gavin. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we got through that. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, we're going to get right into it because uh, Lounge cannot stay on very long, but I know you all want to hear his reaction to baseball. Um, so Mississippi State baseball opens up the season with a series win over VMI. Uh, some really good positives take away on the offensive side of the ball with what they were able to do uh, with, with the, the lineup and as formidable as it looks early returns. Defensively, with pitching and errors, some other concerns early, but it is, I mean, of course, early in the season. Uh, obviously, it's one of those series where you, you feel like you, you want to get a sweep because of the opponent, but, uh, you know, State, two wins, they get none, and then you have kind of the weird game on Saturday. So, I, I, look, I'm not going to dive into it too much right away. I'll just turn it over to Lounge. Just what are your initial takeaways from the opening weekend? Well, the offense is as advertised. And uh, I think big in big picture on a pitching, I think you're gonna get more of what you saw Friday and Sunday than whatever you got Saturday, in my opinion. Because as uh, as Lamontis has done over the past couple of years, he's experimented a little bit in the pre the non conference to figure out where people fit. We know one thing: Aaron Nixon is the closer. Hands down, bar none, no debate. Uh, uh, Colton. See. Oh, sorry, Lounge. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't know if you were done. Go ahead. <laughs> but you saw some some of the those new young pick pieces come in and look absolutely as advertised. Drangelo looked good. Uh, Holcom had a little, but he he battled through it. But if there's any negativities on my end, it's probably the guys that are still here. That unfortunately, Casey Casey Hunt is more fitted for the bullpen. I'll let Colton go on before I start rambling. Yeah, yeah. I really wish I could have jumped in on the uh, preview show for baseball. Obviously, having all four of us would have been really nice. But one thing I would have added is I think a key for this season is you have the arms. It's just going to be about figuring out where everybody fits. The question is, how many games does that cost you? How many games does the first three, four, five weeks of the season where you're trying to just find roles for everybody, how many how many games do you lose because you're figuring things out? And the answer so far out of three, the first three is you lost one. You lost one game because, um, you know, I think you, the race for starting pitcher is so tight right now. And you're you're hesitant to give it to maybe a true freshman that might have earned it that, you know what, if I've got some upperclassmen, I've got some guys that have done it before, I've got some guys that have done it before on this team in spots, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I kind of think that's the strategy they went with this weekend. Uh, but from what you saw, you know, some shuffling is definitely coming down the road for that. Uh, and not just on the pitching side of things. There's some a little bit of positional stuff that needs to be talked about. But oh, yes. Well – so, as we're talking about pitching, though, uh, today Chris Lamos announced that it's going to be Bradley Lofton and then Gerangelo starting in the midweek. 
Um, I mean, do you see that as audition opportunities for them to maybe fight for a starting role, or do you view most both of them more as either bullpen guys going forward? Or I, I know it's way too early to tell, but either bullpen guys or more midweek starters. It's absolutely an audition for the weekend, no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree on that. I mean, from what you got from really, it's for one's one weekend spot. I think Kate, uh, uh, Gart, Landon, and uh, Kate, uh, they pretty much locked had stellar outing. Well, I wouldn't say stellar, or after Landon said it in, adequate outings. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say stellar, but Kate battled. And then once Landon got through like the first three innings, he settled in and really be honest with you, so did the defense. So yeah, I think it's for one spot. And you saw in kind of a little different talking a little bit about Gerangelo. He was more in command of his pitches Sunday than he was in his scrimmages. So that's kind of one I of think, the things. You know, you always know in the scrimmages, you never know when the Pit coaches tell them, hey, I want you to pound – I want you to backdoor breaking ball every single at-bat. And that's easier said than done if it's not what you're comfortable doing at that exact moment, you know. I mean, I think I, – people say that all the time, and I tend to think that your Foxhall is telling them, hey, go get this guy out. But it could be that what I just said, you know. You're, tell, you're asking for pitches that the guy may or may not throw in a real situation. But – Regardless, he he looked sharp Sunday. So, so I think so. It's gonna be almost up to one of those two. I I think they give KC one more shot this weekend against Arizona State and see how it goes, and then it might be decision time. I'll tell you what, I was hurt on Sunday when uh when Lou didn't switch hands. I had my camera ready. I moved from right field to behind home plate to video. I was so I was ready. Let me tell you, I was so ready. And then it just didn't happen. I was I was I was a bit dejected. I'm okay though. I'm hanging in there, and I'm gonna be all right. Well, you first off, you never can't. You said you were coming back out to the lounge, which you never did. So okay, so that that's us up into. I'm in secure lounge. So I was like, they don't want me out there. I was like, they don't, I'm going to bother them. I'm bugging down. They don't need to give me their beers. Like, I was like, I, I'm good. And then, but you just, you their mentioned beer, it right it now makes me feel like I'd made the wrong decision that I should have gone out there. Their beers is my beers, and I would give you another one. Well, you know what? I made a mistake. That's on me. The solution is to yeah, bring the hard beer. Uh, Miller Lloyd. Yeah, there you go. Um, you guys <laughs> almost started talking maybe about this. Maybe they'll sponsor us. Maybe. Uh, I, I, I'm i all for Miller Coors. I mean, I'm wearing a blue moon shirt, which is a part of Miller Coors. So, they want to sponsor, that by all means. Awesome. No free ads, but we're open for sponsorship. Um, Colton, you almost started talking about it a few minutes ago. But beyond pitching, defensively, MSU didn't have a great day. I believe it was seven errors for the weekend. Uh and VMI was 14 of 15 on stolen base attempts. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I'm not worried. I, I might be in the minority. I'm not worried about errors. That, in early in the season, you could clean that up. Um, we saw what this team can do 
we know, I mean, let's 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 put it this way. We know what Lane Forsythe can do. Armani Larry put on a show all weekend long, not just with the uh the bat. I mean, he was getting it done in the middle infield. And then you've heard a lot of good reports from Slate from people that don't have a reason to say that. You know, Cam James, while he was still the starting third baseman last year, said that Slate Offer was the best defensive third baseman on the team, and Cam James was on the team. So for, for Cam James to make a humble statement like that, I think uh, Slate uh, obviously had maybe some first weekend jitters. I think that'll get taken care of. I also, this is me, me really, really making excuses. The first inning, the first inning Friday, three different balls popped out of a, a glove somewhere. That is, I'm I, the gloves are not broken in. I saw, I, and that is a such a loser take. But you don't watch three balls pop out of a glove in the first inning, and not there's got to be a common denominator there. So, the biggest thing for me though is we have already got a weird position battle going on. Because guys, and maybe the pitchers did a horrible job holding runners on. Maybe I mean, and I mean, I don't, I don't think every single pitcher did a bad job holding runners on. And the change on Sunday is evidence that that's probably true. But I don't know if Hancock can 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 play catcher. I really don't. I've never. And look, he's played enough catcher in the past that I don't think he's never gotten abused like he did this weekend. But he was getting his lunch handed to him on the base pass. It was bad. And I feel being back there didn't magically fix it. In the first three innings, it didn't look too much better. I, we did have that interference call. I saw how bad that throw was, and I was like, oh, my gosh, we are in trouble. But then they called interference, and now it made more sense. But, man, I, you, you got to – now you got the whole thing. You got Hines and Luke that can play first. You got Highfield and Luke that can catch. And all of those guys – except maybe Highfield and Bryce Chance added in the mix can DH. So what do you do? You know, you on one hand, you can you take Hunter Hines, probably your most powerful hitter out of the lineup, or even make him in the lineup two-thirds of the time? Like, can you afford to do that? But on the other, Bryce Chance is leading your team in batting average right now. And on the other – and then on the third hand, I guess, since we're using that analogy – you know, what does it say to your team when you put the C on somebody's chest for the first time, maybe in your history? I don't remember when you've ever had a, a, a named captain like that. What if? What are you telling your team when you when you sit him down on the bench? Like, it's a real, real conundrum. Uh, I mean, it's a good problem to have because all those guys are talented and all of them are getting it done at one point or another uh, during this series and at one point uh, or in one phase of the game or another. But I don't know what you do. I really don't. I feel like you got two spots and four guys that all need to be out there. Well, first off, I want to tell Andrew, I told y'all about Bryce Chance in the preseason show. You did. Yeah. So, it makes me look smart, even though I take it with a grain of salt. Lounge deserves his flowers for that. I don't get too many these days, so. But anyways, yeah, Bryce Chance on the weekend I, goes five uh, bats five eighty three, slugging nine seventeen. It, it was a it, that earned him SEC Freshman of the Week honors. Really, really impressive opening weekend for him. That would be if I correct me if I'm wrong. That would be leading the team in average second on or no no gosh we had a good weekend play third third nine seventeen would be third on the weekend slugging. 
if you're gonna do this, you're gonna have to you got to catch Highfield on the on the weekends. Still use Luke as a midweek catcher. And it, if you look at it, Luke feels more comfortable, in my opinion, at first anyways. And he, 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 he looks a lot – he's more reliable, in my opinion, like digging up, bailing out some bad throws to first. Like – Yeah. You can't – it's hard to replace that. I still say use Luke, but – Use Hunter as a DH, DH with a chance, like flipping, spinning on who's the pitcher left or left here righty. So you're still getting guys at bats, but I know See, it, I, I like about the, there's really there's really no win win. It's just you're just kind of having to just unfortunately, it's a good problem, but it. This we shouldn't be at this point. I like the the plan, but like you take Hunter Hines out of the lineup, a true freshman that hit three hundred with sixteen home runs last year, and you're not not take you're not talking about taking him out of the lineup completely. But I mean, shoot, unless he starts slumping, you know that Josh Hatcher type slump, which I don't expect from him. He's already got one home run. Uh, you gotta have that. You gotta have that bat in the lineup, man. Like it, I don't know. But, but it's a weird problem and and Luke hasn't done anything to get himself out of the hitting lineup either, batting five forty five. Yeah, it'll sort itself out. They're gonna probably play evenly distributed across this night conference, and we'll it'll probably it'll sort itself out. But yeah, Highfield's got to be the guy behind home plate going forward. I'll tell you who I was impressed with. Um, of course, um, uh, Le- Larry Ledbetter. That's that's a good law firm, Larry and Ledbetter. We might have to. Uh, somebody needs to make a somebody needs to make a T-shirt. But million dollar idea. Um, I don't know, man. Dakota Jordan. I wasn't on a big uh, D- Dakota Jordan. Uh, what's what's the word? Apologist, super fan at the beginning of this season, like a lot of people were, but dude, I'll tell you something. I was impressed. I was impressed because it's been maybe since Jake 2021 rowdy, not maybe not 2020 rowdy, but a solid, again, it's one weekend. This could absolutely change, but he looks smooth out there in center field. I, I was not worried. Every single time a ball left the bat, he looked like he had a beat on it from the get-go. It, it, it seemed like it's it's his natural position, and it is. You're not turning a left fielder, a career left fielder, a right fielder into a center fielder. And if Dakota's here for three years, I mean, how beautiful is that going to be, having a center fielder that's done nothing but that? I mean, getting me chills and, and goosebumps just thinking about it. But also – Again, not lighting the woods on fire hitting from hitting perspective. Just 231, I think he had three hits. He hit a ball 116 miles per hour. That's ungodly in college baseball. That That's like Ivan Melendez-type numbers as a true freshman. And not a huge guy. It's incredible. That is a well, free he, he, he He's pretty built. You get a little closer to him. He's Man, he ain't he's not, tall, he's not, he's yeah, he's 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 muscular. He's not, you know, six five, but 
my goodness. Uh, you can tell why he was signed for, for the football team, and you can also tell why he made the right decision sticking with baseball. Amani Larry uh, bats 571 on the weekend. Um, nine RBI for him, slugging 1,000. Uh, he had a, a big home run. I mean, was he perfect on the first day? Did, did he? I can't yeah. remember. Either he was on Friday he, and through his first two plate appearances on Saturday was six for six with a walk. Yeah. Then um, he laid down that bunt as if it's almost as like, oh, I just need to get out one time just to get the just to just to get. Yeah, no, that was that was as good a debut of a, a new of transfers we've seen. Um, State as a team. Bats uh, three seventy one on the weekend, slugging six uh, twenty nine, six home runs, twelve doubles. Uh, the bats were that's not at all a problem for MSU on the weekend. Um, and look, if that's the offense that you can get going forward, you this might be a team that has to score, you know, eight plus runs a game if they're going to be winning uh, consistently. Uh, it's way too early to tell, I know, but if you have some of the the issues continuing on, on the defensive side, so. State's got the bats. Uh, look, I know it's you know it sucks to get take the loss to VMI. I, I am certainly I am never a that's baseball person, especially because look when you lose a game because of walks when you were up ten to one and just let a team like just get back into it for no reason. I don't really consider that that being like a that's baseball loss. That's just kind of a bad loss. Um, but still, the first weekend obviously you have a lot of new pieces that you're trying to fit, fit trying to uh, fit together. Um, to get things sorted out going forward, and look, obviously in the midweek you've got a couple, uh, a couple really good opportunities for some you know new freshmen to display. Maybe you know you mix them into the line, uh, your starting lineup for uh, sorry your pitching rotation going forward and get some of that sorted out. So, state gets the series win, um, and be back in action on Tuesday night, and then you got uh, with a, well, a couple mid midweek games Tuesday and Wednesday, and then Arizona State comes down next. Uh, uh, over the weekend, so that'll be a really big series. Uh, any closing thoughts from either of you on baseball? Just please, please, no one overreact in the first month of the season. I'm gonna be. I, uh, you go ahead. I, I mean, I, I kind of basically summed up my point because seeing too much lane force. Foresight slander That's tough, past couple of days. I'm so. going to be a little bit of a football fan, caring for baseball here. A little bit hot takey. It's not just that you lost, it's the way you lost. You know, everybody has an ace. If you lose a game this weekend, three to one, and one dude pitched eight innings, and, you know, basically you got what, uh, you got Althoft, that guy for, uh, for uh, Tulane that just shoved that series uh, in the championship year where you, where you lose the Friday game to Tulane. If that happens, you tip your cap and move on. But it was concerning to lose the same way you lost most of your games last year, which is not being able to pitch. And then with the added problem of your captain cannot throw out a base runner to save his life. I mean, that was, that was abysmal. But so I am a little bit freaked out, again, because of the way you lost. However – I'm just got a list right here. Smith, Gartman, Hard, Tyson Harden. Welcome to the show, man. I mean, he looked really well. Nate Dome, 
uh, Gerangelo Saintja confirmed it is Saintja. We have two pitchers whose names we can't pronounce. I'm not going to try to pronounce Graham Yitma. I don't know. It is Saintja, though. Everybody get get it right. Lofton and Nixon, I mean, that, that list, list of guys were fine, and some of them better than fine. And then, you know, maybe Stinnett and Hunt on a short leash, and maybe it's time to start thinking about, you know, if you were on the team a couple last year, the year before, you've had your chance, and we're you're going to have to really turn it on if we're going to hand you the keys again. And it's time to let these new guys take over. That might be the case, but you know you can figure things out with Hunt and Stinnett. Tyler Davis was brought in to um to be a good left-handed pitcher, and you're really going to need him to be. But he had a poor showing. Graham Yitma, I thought he was fine. He had some bad luck, some errors, some infield singles, uh, but didn't pitch outstanding. And then Colby Colby Holcomb was really not great. But all in all, though, one, two, three, four, five, six. I get I listed seven who you feel really good about. All right, and that's not enough. You need more than seven pitchers. You need two or three of those guys on the other list to step up. But it's not just all doom and gloom from that standpoint. I wouldn't predict State to win anything of substantial right now. I'd predict them to make the tournament and, you know, probably pretty much where we were preseason, not host, not, you know, contend in SEC as of right now. But it's way too early to be talking about those things. Last thing is, where was Pika this weekend? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I don't think – I don't remember seeing him warm up. I didn't look for him, so he very well could have been out there. But I don't remember seeing number nine on the field. I don't – we'll learn something anyways. But, uh, yeah, I got I to gotta hop off. I got to do other work. So, appreciate y'all having me on for this little bit of time. Now I'm just two-timing us. <laughs> Do what? He's two timing us. Hey, I'm a I'm a busy man. <laughs> All right, Lounge. Thanks for hopping on. Have a good one, man. All right, guys. Talk to y'all later. Moving over to basketball. It was ugly. It was stressful. Um, but MSU does the one thing they had to do, and they win. They go up to Oxford. Get the win in overtime over the Ole Miss Rebels, 69, nice, to 61. Um, after losing to Kentucky, look, that, that was a loss that didn't really hurt MSU, but you had to get a bounce-back win. And, look, I think you could maybe make it, like, technically Ole Miss was a quad-two opponent. You could maybe justify if you lost the game, there's still a path to an at-large bid. It was going to be very, very tough. And I think more than anything – Taking a loss to, to a, this Ole Miss team after losing to Kentucky in the fashion you did probably would have been a huge confidence uh, killer to, at this point of the season when you're trying to close things out. It was crucial that State found a way to get this game, and uh, they go up to Oxford to get it done for their first sweep of the Rebels since 2011, which is crazy to think about um, that old Mississippi State basketball for the history that it has Compared to Ole Miss, like there's no question who the better basketball program is all time. Um, but they have not swept Ole Miss since 2011, uh, which was not even that good of a Mississippi State team. That, that team won seven, that was like 17 and 14. Um, but that was the last time you, you, you swept Ole Miss. And State gets it done. Uh, again, certainly was not easy. You were down one at, at halftime. Um, and then you have to go to overtime. But in, cl- in the clutch moments, Mississippi State is able to close it out. Big day for Tolu Smith, uh, 17 points and 12 rebounds for him. Uh, I, I got to get... stop you real quick. Go ahead. 
When was the last time Ole Miss swept the season series? Uh, that would be 2017. Ben Howland's second season. We lose both. Both. Oh, they made the tournament that year. They went to the NIT. They made the tournament in 2018. They made the tournament the same year we did. Yeah, 20, uh, 2019. So, here we go, obsessed state fan. Um, Ole Miss went to the tournament in 2013, I think. I think that was the Marshall Henderson. They win the SEC tournament. Um, they otherwise would not have gotten in. 2015, I believe they make it for Kennedy's second trip. And then other than that, like their whole stretch is, was basically like 20 wins go to the NIT for much of Andy Kennedy's tenure. Uh, I remember that that was my freshman year at State, and they I think they took it to us pretty bad up in Oxford. In Starkville, we were down six with 30 seconds left. And I.J. Reddy, shout out to him, just makes what some a guy. Inc- incredible plays in crunch time, including a lay-in with like, I don't know, 0.3 seconds left, something like that, to tie the game. Send it to overtime. You feel like State has all the momentum. And then Ole Miss in overtime just flipped the switch and kind of dominated and State lost. So that was the last time State got swept uh, by the Rebels. But, again, this was State's first sweep of Ole Miss since 2011. Uh, Cam Matthews, 17 points for him to go along with seven rebounds. And it was, he was huge from the free throw line, seven of seven, which Tolu Smith, by the way, five of seven from the free throw line. So, I mean, it really does feel like he sort of flipped the switch there. You get 12 out of Deshaun Davis in, in really crucial moments down the stretch. Uh, double, di- double figures for DJ Jeffries as well, who knocked down a couple three-pointers, including the most improbable three you will maybe, maybe ever see. Go ahead. Need that happen in a high school game before, uh, at a game I was playing in. Yes, yeah, so- I've seen it once, but now it's happened twice in my life. You're, you're not even – you're not straight up in the corner. Per- completely uh, – it is a lateral – Parallel to the baseline shot, and it hits the glass and goes in. It is it. I've seen it happen though. So if if you happen to miss it live in overtime, DJ Jeffries, as the clock shot clock is winding down, just kind of throws up a, a desperation three that they're he's on. I guess a, if you're looking at the camera, left side of the court at the bot in the bottom corner, and shoots it up, and it bounces off like the top corner of the the backboard and falls into the uh, basket. So just like a, a crazy bank shot, one of those that you have to call. And he obviously obviously he called it. Of course he did. Um, but gets it to drop. And that was a crucial bucket in overtime for State. This is such a weird game because State came out looking like they were going to – kind of similar to the, the LSU game. It looked like State was going to run Ole Miss out of the gym. Um, Kermit called a timeout like not even two minutes into the game. State was – State had – converted easy baskets on their first couple of possessions. Um, they just kept going inside. It wasn't just feeding Tolu Smith. It was everyone was just getting a one-on-one drive into the rim, getting an easy lane over and over and over. It was 14-4 to four really before you could blink. And then Ole Miss kind of just turned it up. They started playing a little bit better defense, but the big thing was turnovers. State could not stop turning the ball over. Four, 19 turnovers in this game. That ended up leading to uh, 16 points for Ole Miss. Funny that uh, the women had less turnovers, uh, more turnovers than that, and dominated. And also, so we'll we'll talk about the women's game in a second. But I was looking at that 
So Mississippi State women's basketball had like 22 turnovers. They still ended up with more points off turnovers than Alabama did. Kind right, because the defense was locked down. Yeah, it, pre- pretty crazy how that works out. Mississippi State men's basketball, though, that was not the case. State only ended up with uh, eight points off turnover. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, eight points off turnovers in this game. They just kept getting in their own way. In the first half, they were shooting the ball incredibly well, shooting 62% from the floor. They were holding Ole Miss under 40% shooting in the first half. Um, but they kept turning the ball over, and that was what let Ole Miss stick around in the game. And Ole Miss defensively had a pretty good game plan. In the second half, they really shut things down because they kind of knew State can't hit shots from outside, at least not consistently. Uh, on the day, State was only 3 of 18 from deep. They were 0 of 10 in the second half, by the way. Um, so they just kind of kept swarming swarming in the paint, uh, just kind of a lot of really just tough man defense. And, of course, the, the classic Kermit Davis 1-3-1, kind of that full court pressure that they would show. But we got to give Ben Hallen a little bit, not much, a little bit of a, of of an apology about the one three one. It does it bothered us on Saturday a little bit. Not as he much as it bothered just, his teams consistently, and I thought they handled it better in Starkville the last time they played. I still think they handled better, it better than Howland's teams generally did. I, I was I don't think the one three one is sure. why State's defense struggled so much. It did. It did obviously put Deshaun Davis and Shaquille Moore in some tough spots, but the re- state's offense like was getting like they would get past the one three one, and then Ole Miss would just go into a man, and State just could not get an open look. It was, and again, every time they would try to get it down to Tolu and uh, Tolu in the paint, just double team them immediately. State only shoot. And I worry, I worry that the last even LSU going that far back, last few teams have have all followed this blueprint to stop us defensively. And I want to say that it's quote-unquote worked. You're scoring at or above the same amount of points that you've been scoring all season long, and you haven't been scoring very many all season long. But, like, this, it lets a lesser team kind of bug you when they just decide, hey, we're going to pack the paint and you're going to shoot – you're going to beat us with three or you're not going to beat us. So, okay, what I what I will say, though – for as bad as Ole Miss is, they do play hard. Like, and that's not just a Mississippi State thing. They've kind of been that throughout the entire season. They've been in a lot of the games that they play. Um, and they do play, they're not good on defense. And MSU should have scored more. Absolutely, MSU should have been better than they were. Like, it doesn't excuse the turnovers. But the defense is at least what they do better than their offense. And they have been able to give, occasionally give teams problems. So, and, like, Arkansas defensively, I don't think really did much to stop Mississippi State. Kentucky didn't do anything really defensively to stop MSU. MSU just couldn't rebound worth a crap against Kentucky. So I don't know if this is necessarily something that's going to be a tr- – excuse me – necessarily going to be a trend going forward. Um, J- uh, Jamin Brakefield goes for 20 for Ole Miss, um, 15 for Matthew Morrell, 10 for Miles Burns. I mean, they had a few players who were able to hit some big shots for them, but – well, I say hit big shots. None of them shot the ball particularly well outside of a uh, break field. But I, for a second, I was worried, like, here we go. It's, every time State loses to Ole Miss, it's one player goes off for, like, 30 points. And I thought that was going to happen for a second, but ultimately it didn't. Um, which, uh, oh, God, what's the – is it Jarkel Joyner who they they had? Yeah, he was on their, he was on their team. Yeah, I think he's at NC State now, and, like, 
he he was I was watching NC State. It's either Joiner or another former Rebel. There's a former Ole Miss player on NC State who yesterday against UNC like went off, and it was like led NC State to a win against UNC. So that I'm sure they're missing him. Um, Did, but uh, you, was your point that he ratted us at one point in his career? He might have. I just remembered him being. Until being Joiner is on NC State. Yeah. So from Oxford had transferred there. Ooh. Ooh. We, why do we let why do we let them get a pass for that? Nobody I've not seen any roasts about this. I think most of them are just roasting their own basketball program, so we don't have to do it for them. True. Uh but yes, Ole Miss defensively gave State a lot of problems in the second half. And it really wasn't until the closing moments that State found a way to Deshaun Davis stepped up big there in the final moments. He went the majority of the game without a basket, and State's backcourt had a bad day. Only two points for Shaquille Moore. He only took two uh, field goal attempts in the game. He was 0 for 2. Knocked down a couple free throws, though, that were crucial late in the game. But Deshaun Davis, who, again, most of the game went without really getting much happening. Big buckets there late in the game uh, in the second half in overtime. Uh, hit a couple big free throws at, at a crucial moment to lock it up. And free throw shooting is kind of what won it for MSU. 18 of 21 for, from the line for a team that struggled so much from the free throw line for the majority of the season. I mean, you go 18 of 21, you will take that all day, every day. Look, it was really just turnovers. The state played sloppy. And I'll be honest, this was the first time this year I was legitimately mad with this team because I've tried to, like, stay reasonable with them, and now, of course, it's – You weren't, you weren't mad when we couldn't re- out re- get a rebound to save our lives against Kentucky? I was annoyed, but I wasn't – I was just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, I was – I also recognized, like, Oscar Shibway, which Toppin had a big day for them, too, when he hasn't been good. But – um, which now Kentucky obviously looks incredible once again because that's just how that goes. But uh, – the Kentucky loss is it's one thing because it's like it's Kentucky and they Kentucky was playing like their tournament lives were you know in line and it was. I didn't expect State to kind of play. I felt like State just was very much going through the motions against Ole Miss, and as soon as Ole Miss did something to like crank up the pressure, it was like they just it felt like they weren't trying, and it felt like they were playing careless. And I was really frustrated because it was like, this is your season. If you lose this game, you're probably done, and. I felt like you have to give better effort than you did. But if y'all, to- if y'all hear weird background noise, the ESPN website, I've got the stats pulled up, and it just decides to unmute the ads at random junctures. And I apologize. Yeah, I use Mississippi State site for stats. Um, but yes, ESPN I, I sucks. I, I'm, I'm getting off of it. The For as, as large and profitable a company as ESPN is, their IT infrastructure and software is garbage. Yeah, uh, I, I don't like the formatting of the ESPN site or the ESPN app, but that's another discussion for another day. Give credit to State, though. They like they, they were able to close it out. They are fortunate because if Ole Miss was like an ounce better of a shooting team, they would have lost this game. But the Rebels weren't. Um, they State still played good defense. And, like, which, I mean, you know they're going to play good defense every time they go out. They get it, get it done. And they pull away in overtime. In overtime, they looked like the team that they were supposed to look like in this game. You had to get the win. You get the win. So now you t- turn ahead, and it's like, how do they need to finish? What do they have to do to make, make the tournament? Uh, you should certainly go to maroonandwhitenation.com 
and check out a recent po uh, post that I did breaking down Mississippi State's path in the tournament in these final two weeks of the regular season. But I'll summarize some of it here. Um, I've pushed back in the past about, you know, if they go to, if they finish nine and nine in SEC play, they're good. They'll be in. I think now you're at a point where nine and nine, assuming that, you know, you beat South Carolina because you have to win that game. I think they're in. Considering where MSU's resume stands up relative to some of the other teams in the SEC, oh, sorry, other teams on the bubble, and the fact that bubble teams across the country are starting to falter, um, which is kind of a theme. And this is a good point. Uh, you should go follow Bracket Guy Dave, uh, Dave Omen or Omen on Twitter. He's one of the better bracketologists out there. He said this on the Saturday that State beat Arkansas. It was like, you know, your reminder that more bubble teams play their way off the bubble than teams that play that more teams play themselves out of the tournament than play themselves into the tournament. Meaning you have more teams that just take terrible losses and blow up at terrible times than teams that actually win impressive games. Um, MSU winning at Arkansas was the inverse of that. That was a big win, which led to State making a big jump up. You look at those bracket projections right now, State is a last four in team. So they're in the field, but they're definitely not safe. I think if you hit nine and nine, you will have done so by winning enough quality, getting enough quality wins that you will have put yourself in a good spot to get into the tournament, which that was my concern previously. I thought it was possible you hit nine and nine but and didn't take a bad loss, but still didn't have enough good wins. And at this point, you will have won good games because at, at this point it entails like you're going to have picked up a, probably another quad one win against either Missouri or Texas A&M. You have two huge opportunities this week. Um and I think you have to go at least one and one in these games. Uh, and I'll be honest, even even if you wanted to lay out a path where State finishes eight and ten in the SEC and gets in, which I think you could do, but it's going to be cutting it very very close. You still have to win a game this week because think about it: if State goes zero and two this week, and then they beat South Carolina and Vanderbilt to close it out to go eight and ten in the SEC, what do those two wins really do for you? South Carolina does absolutely nothing. That's just avoiding a bad loss. Vandy has become a respectable team, but that's not a win that's going to really change how things – like, that's not the type of win where if you get it at the end of the season, the selection committee is going to look and like, oh, wow, that's a big-time win. And what, what do you want to say? If you win both games this week, you can lose to Vanderbilt. Correct. I, so that, that's – That was not true two weeks ago. That's one of the big things that's changed. If you win both this week, you can go up to Vandy and lose. You go, if you win house money, if you win both of these and don't and beat South Carolina, obviously. If you win one of these and then beat South Carolina, maybe there's a world where you lose to Vanderbilt and you can still be okay. But if you don't win either of these and then you beat South Carolina and Vanderbilt, that change. I don't think that changes anything for the committee views you. Um. So if, if you're going to try to lay out a path where State goes 8-10 and 10 in the SEC and they get in, you have to win a game this week, either getting a quad one road win at Missouri or currently quad one may not stay quad one if you were to beat them in Texas A&M at home, but that's a team that's going to make the tournament. That would be a really good win to add. you got to find a way to get at least one. Um, one win this – and by the way, the, again, the reason we're talking about conference record so much if you follow me, and I've said it on this show, conference record is not one of the criteria used by the selection committee for team evaluation. But the reason we talk about it a lot is because it's an easier way to look at it for fans. 
and it puts it into a more of a perspective. Uh, it, it also kind of goes right in line with in order for state to have a good enough resume for them to get in, they have to hit X number of SEC wins, not because SEC wins are the actual, like the, the measuring stick, but because that means they will have won X number of quality games that they need. Um, at eight and 10, it's iffy at nine and nine, you're pretty, pretty set. So again, you need to get, get, get a win this week to go two and oh, you're in fantastic spot, be South Carolina. And I think you're, you're in the tournament. Um, but a one and one week has to start. So with that, let's talk about Missouri real quick. Obviously we've seen the Tigers states played them state beat them. Missouri is like one of the weirdest teams in the country. If you look at them purely from a resume standpoint, you're like, okay, this is like a six seed. They're like 19 and eight on the season. They are, they have four quad one wins. They do not have a single loss outside of quad one. All eight of their losses are quad one. Uh, they're eight and eight combined between quads one and two. Strength of schedule, 31. Strength of record, 20. That like, everything I've laid out, that sounds like a team that should be a pretty decent seed in the NCAA tournament. And yet they're technically on the kind of on the bubble. Why? Because their metrics are garbage. They're 51 in the net, which doesn't matter that much. Your net ranking doesn't isn't really that important. They're they're still lower in the net because of how they play in a lot of their games. 62 in Ken Palm, 68 BPI, 62 in Sagarin. The the committee can use those, right? I believe so. Yeah. No, they they look at metrics. Uh how heavily they weigh metrics seems to kind of be all over the place. The general consensus is more that your resume is what determines whether or not you get into the field. Like you're not going to not get in because of a low Ken bomb or you, you shouldn't, but they're going to use those metrics to determine where they seed you. So Missouri's resume is probably going to be good enough to get them in unless they continue losing, but their metrics are going to keep them from being a seed that matches the resume they have. And the reason the, the metrics hate them is because they're an inconsistent as crap team. Um, they Offensively, they are capable of being elite, but they also have nights where they just cannot hit a shot. We saw that in Starkville. And their defense is just garbage all around. And, like, you, you go through it, it's like they have good wins. Like, uh, Illinois, Kentucky, Arkansas, Iowa State, Tennessee, they've beaten. Those are five wins over teams projected to go to the NCAA tournament. Problem is when they've lost, blown out by Kansas, uh, blown out by Texas A&M the first time they played, blown out by Alabama, uh, blown blown out by Auburn. A&M kind of out by Mississippi State. Mississippi State wins by double digits. A&M kind of in their sweep of them kind of controls. Uh, they they were lost by nine to Florida. Uh, their closest margin of defeat was six on the road at Arkansas. On the flip side is that they have some. They do have some good wins, but they have two buzzer beater victories, I think from the same player, like half court buzzer beaters over UCF and Tennessee. It was like, the, I think the same player hit the shot, uh, the three pointers to win. Um, They're kind of lucky to have some of the wins that they do to this point. And like, they look, they, they, they dominated Illinois. They dominated Iowa state. It's not that they haven't taken it to some good teams. It's that they've also had a lot of games where they were kind of lucky to win. Like, Lucky to beat Vanderbilt. Lucky to beat Arkansas the second time. Um, I mean, lucky to beat Tennessee, like I just mentioned. Lucky to beat UCF. So it's one of those weird things where, like, the, re- the metrics hate them because they don't really play all that consistently. And what you can see some is, like, 
teams that can essentially for them, it literally just boils down to whether or not they hit shots and teams that can actually get up in their grill and contest some of those looks, give them problems. We saw that firsthand with Mississippi state. Um, so state, I think matches up pretty well. That said, Mizzou arena is a very difficult place to go and play. Um, that, 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 when that, when that team is good, their fan base gets after it. Um, but I think state's I got a great chance. What was that? I forget they have fans. In basketball, they do. You got to remember they're they're in that part of the country where basketball is life, right there in the heartland. Um, when, when their stadium is like fifteen thousand seats. Uh, oh, like, I know. Like it just doesn't ever come up. <laughs> yeah, I know. The one time I remember Missouri being good at basketball since they joined the SEC, and I know this isn't the only time. It's the one time I remember. We spanked them in Humphrey Coliseum. Spanked them. And then it well, turns out they weren't that good. There was also the time that they called Lamar Peters for like a push-off uh, in that 2018. That made me so mad. And it, where if State had won, they probably would have gone to the tournament. Um, so that that was fun. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, difficult place to play. And, look, here's the thing. If Mizzou's knocking down shots, I don't think State can keep up. Because for as good as like as good as State's defense is and for as poor as Missouri's uh, defense – as poor as Missouri's defense is, which gives State some opportunities, if the shots are falling, like, ultimately State's not going to be able to keep pace. So we saw, like, when they played in Starkville, for as good as State's defense played, Missouri had a lot of looks that they just didn't connect on. So it's kind of one of those things where if those shots fall and – the shots have fallen for them more at home than they have away. It's going to be tough. But if you can contest some of those looks and give them some trouble and force them to have to try and get points in the paint, which is not their strength at all, then I think State's got a big edge. Because the other thing, like, they they do, they do, are not good in the post. Like, they, their rebounding margin is 350 in the country. They're minus 7.4. Um, like, and like teams shoot far more free throws against them than, than they uh, get. They 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 are a perimeter scoring team who does not have a big man that can match up with a Tolu Smith. Very new school, very much so. And look, it worked. Credit to Dennis Gates. Like they they also had a big rebuild, and it's a huge turnaround. He's probably SEC Coach of the Year for what he's done at Missouri this season. Um, like it, he's making it work, but that gives them problem problems when you play a team that's got a Tolu Smith. And I think if you're state, you are just going to force the issue and try to try to continue to dominate in the paint, which is your strength as a team and force them to have to try and play your style. Now, the thing you got to be careful of, they are one of the best teams in the country at forcing turnovers. They force over seven, like 17 and a half per game, which is number eight in the country. Um, and they don't turn the ball over that much themselves. Considering MSU and the struggles with turnovers that they have now recently had, you got to clean that up because that's that's giving a team like Missouri easy buckets. Like they are one of the best teams in the country at like points in transition, um, and, and you know in some of those opportunities. So that's something to, to to watch. But I look, I think State can match up pretty well. It just comes down to whether or not they can handle the environment. And I think winning in Oxford and getting that game. The, you know, closing that game out the way you did, it was good for them. Uh, it, you know, you just got to continue to bounce back. Go dogs. Yeah. I, Colton didn't have much to say there, but uh, 
Yeah, so it's big game at Missouri on Tuesday. All right, let's talk about women's basketball. Um, they took a tough loss, speaking of the Missouri Tigers, to Missouri uh, last week. Yep. That, that yep. really Without felt like – Jessica Carter, I think finding out during shoot-around that Jessica Carter wasn't going to play didn't do much, both for the coaching staff, of course, and the players, uh, and also just not having her was was not good. But, I mean – that's not to excuse it because the, the women's team has been far from consistent. Yeah. It, look, and they, they struggled in Columbia. That was an opportunity for them to pick up another quad one win um, that they missed out on. Uh, would, it's weird. Missouri's not that good this year, but still state didn't go up. Couldn't get it done. However, they bounced back in the biggest possible way. Hosting Alabama at home, Alabama's like a top 25 team in the women's net rankings, so it was quad one opportunity for MSU. State dominates. Uh, 60 to 45. Score was uh, 30 – what was it? What's that? 35 to 18 at halftime um, or some, some, some along those lines. That's perfect. Uh, State just absolutely dominated Alabama. Alabama team that kind of lives by the three, and they couldn't really hit them. They were only 8 of 28 for the game. MSU, I've kind of this has kind of been a theme with this team. When they win, it's because they shoot the crap out of the ball. 52% from the floor, 53% from behind the arc. Now, they only took seven free throws and they were two for seven. So that's not great. But I mean, you only got seven attempts anyway. Uh, just a really, really good performance for State. Um, they, they turned the ball over. We mentioned this earlier. They turned the ball over 22 times, which is ridiculous. But they still only gave up. 14 points off turnover, which isn't a lot, but when you turn it over 22 times, you'd almost think it'd be more. Meanwhile, Alabama turns it over 15 times. State gets 22 points off of that. So that was key. And you, you hold Bama to a poor shooting night. You capitalize when they make mistakes. And, I mean, that's a massive win, and that's a quad one win for Sam Purcell. Yeah, you, you basically just put the clamps on Alabama. And I, I think it's easy to say that, you know, Alabama didn't bring their A game pardon the pun, but they don't they don't have any excuse to. It's not like it was a three-hour flight or an eight-hour bus ride, you know. It was a hop, skip, and a jump to come to Humphrey Coliseum. It's not like the crowd was electric and it was a, you know, top 25 matchup at night on a weekend between, you know, two like UConn, South Carolina, where, you know, the crowd's invested. Poor showing by the crowd, to be honest, and that's our fault, but – that's just all the more credit to the ladies that they were able to get in there on senior day and just uh, really, really control both the pace of the game, albeit the turnovers, and just also just the type of sets Alabama was getting. Um, they did miss a few open looks, but you're going to miss some open shots when most of your shots before that are rushed, uh, forced, and contested. So really good job by the ladies. Um, one thing I want to really point out, and I tweeted this out, You've got now, and this is what you didn't have, you know, last year, once Rakia left, um, you had a thin roster. And then the year before, of course, uh, the Nicky McRae-Pinson year, you're kind of, every, you know, very discombobulated. It was the team effort wasn't there. Uh, chemistry wasn't there. The love in the locker room definitely wasn't there. And I'm not going to get into all that. You've got three players at this uh, on this team at minimum, and you could throw Jessica Carter in there with this too, although it's a little bit different, you know, with her position. But Alana Smith, Jerkelia Jordan, and Anastasia Hayes, all three, if you need a bucket, they can go get you a bucket. 
it does in any way possible inside, outside, mid range. They're all there. Uh, Agent A. Johnson's been a really good facilitator and uh, flex point guard. Um, not the best outside shooter. And it's weird because she, I think she led her conference at St. Bonaventure in scoring last year or something uh, close to that. And also she can't hit a free throw either, but, and she's been a 75% free throw shooter her whole life. So I don't know where that came from, but still is able to get to the rack, able to put uh, contribute a ton of points and facilitate. So you, your guard play and I guess to an extension of that, your small forward play, you know, there's all, all the same in this type of offense um, was really, really good. Not only on Sunday, but has been for even in these ups and downs, you know, Alana Smith still had a good game against um, Missouri. Uh, I think Jacoby Jordan failed to score until the last like two minutes against Florida a couple of games ago, but contributed every other way. You know, had blocks, had steals, had rebounds, had assists, was just getting the job done in a lot of different ways. So the the those three players, uh, Hayes, Jordan, and uh, Smith, that could almost be a law firm too. I guess any last names can be a law firm. Not Jordan, but Smith and Hayes. And then you got to throw in one, like, European last name that doesn't – that sounds weird. But uh, anyway – they're really, really blooming, blossoming into some not great pieces. And the type of players where you see these tournament runs where, you know, Morgan Williams scores 41 or something against Baylor or, you know, Tierra McCowan dominates Washington. Like, uh, I think Jordan Poole for Michigan in the men's side a couple of years, a few years ago, just caught fire in the tournament. That's the kind of thing that you start, you're start, I can imagine if they make the tournament, uh, with these women. And of course, if they beat Arkansas this week at home, senior day for, for uh, Jessica Carter and not anybody else, I don't know why they didn't do senior day on that day anyway, but um, you're, you've got a chance now with a win against Arkansas to solidify your tournament resume and win or lose against LSU. Just don't get blown out in this tournament and you feel good about your chances. Winning a game in this tournament and beat Arkansas and you're playing for seeding. Yeah, that, that was going to be my last question for you. Uh, the, the, what a win over Arkansas put State in, but that sounds like that's where they're at. So they, this was big Probably. for them. Good thing. So I think I've always wondered this, and you just mentioned it. I've noticed the past couple of years, Charlie Cream, who does the women's bracketology for ESPN, is always like so close to perfect. Like he gets it. And then Joe Lenardi's like, eh. I think he usually gets more accurate towards the end. Maybe. Yes. So, look, Lenardi is accurate at a time where pretty much every bracketologist is accurate in that when you're only actually really discussing a handful of teams, he, he's pretty good there. It's not that, like, Lenardi sort of has the godfather of, the, of it. Lenardi is the one who made this a big thing. He's not actually the most accurate. But over on the women's side, ESPN, what's the name again? Charlie Cream. Yeah. I, I've looked at, okay. I've looked at, I obviously have checked the bracketology over there, but, um, he does a pretty good job, and I don't think I, I figured it out though. It's those metrics because there's they don't have all of those for women the way they do for men. So seating is more difficult predicting wise for the men when you have all those other metrics. If the turn if the tournament committee uses those, not that there aren't metrics for women, there are just not as many. You know those those softwares. Yeah. No, it's I think it's it's a little bit more of a streamlined process over on the women's side, and 
look, State now two quad one wins. They still have not taken. I don't. They still have not taken a bad loss on the season. They can pick up another big win against Arkansas, which wouldn't be quad one, but it would be a good win for them. They're going to be in good sh- uh, good shape. Um, close out. We're not going to the women. The thing hurting the women right now, and now you can kind of. They had beat Missouri would have been even sweeter, but your only quad one win was Tennessee, and now you've got another one. Um, Arkansas probably not a quad one win as of right now, and probably won't be. But uh, quad two win if you can get it. You know, if you get the Missouri win, you got three quad one wins. You're not. You're pretty much not even sweating it. But now you know a little bit nip and tuck here down the stretch, but a win against Arkansas and you feel pretty decent. Close out the show. We're not going to do any kind of breakdown here, but we did want to shout out. Softball, it's not like the it's not like they're off to like just an incredible start. But Sam Ricketts' team, they six and four in the season, got a huge win over Arizona, six to three on Friday. Uh, that's an Arizona some revenge for last year uh, in, in the uh, uh, the Super Regionals. But that's an Arizona team who was ranked number ten in the country. Um, they went toe to toe with a good Michigan team. It came down to the wire. I think they they had the lead late and ultimately slipped away. Um, all, same thing happened with the top 20 UCF team. You can see that like, they're playing like, – they're getting better. They had a, if, you, if you remember Daniel talked about, there's a lot of new faces on this team. Um, but they're, they're off to a pretty solid start, and they have a chance to make some, uh, make some pretty big waves later on in the season when they play uh, Oklahoma. That's so, I mean, and look, that's a long way away. I'm not trying to project anything for this team, but should be paying attention to MSU softball, especially after last season and but with the start they're off to. And, uh, won't tease anything, but we might have some stuff in the works to, to talk about that team more. So that's going to do it for us today. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Cole, for hopping on. As always, swing your sword and hail state.